0: If you would uh, bow with me in prayer before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your word and giving it to us. We thank you that it is alive, that it is life-giving, that you create through your word and you recreate through your word. And so we pray this morning that as we open it, that you would do just that, that you would continue to work and renew us and remake us. And we pray that... uh, as we open your word, that your spirit would lead us and guide us in our time, that you would teach us, that you would apply the truths of your scripture to our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to see you more clearly as we spend time in it. And we pray above all else that you'd be glorified as we open your word together this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, Years ago, uh, right out of college, I lived in in Dallas, uh, Texas. I worked for an architecture firm there. And after working there for probably, I don't know, a year and a half or so, I had a really great boss, really wonderful, godly, gracious man, just a really great place to work. And I went to him and I asked him, I said, I, I think I really would like to go to Europe for a couple of months. Would you allow me to take the time off unpaid, but be able to go? Well, I have basically, well, I have a job when I get back. Is kind of what I asked them. And he was like, yes, go. That would be great you know, take a sketchbook and draw and working in the field of architecture and the kind of buildings we did, it was actually very beneficial. And he said, so go do that. Go. Absolutely. And so he was very gracious and kind to allow me to do that. And so I remember going home and being so excited. Yes, I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to do this. And then it dawned on me, I got a lot of planning to do to actually make this happen. It's one thing that he said, yes, you can go. But then it was like, now I've got to figure out how I'm going to do it. And so it's going to go for a couple months. And so a lot of planning went into that and, and planes and getting your rail pass and all those kind of things and kind of figuring it out. And then you finally get ready to go and then you get there and then you get lost a lot and you don't know the language and you don't really know where you're going. I, I still remember getting on a train, uh, got there early and got on a train and then all of a sudden the door slammed shut and it took off and I was on the wrong train and uh, there was no electricity. It was completely pitch black and we started going through tunnels really fast. And then <laughs> it was very scary to me at the time. But but things like that happened or are getting on the wrong bus in Greece and having the bus driver tell me to get out that you're on the wrong bus. And so he put me out on the side of the highway. And so I'm walking down the highway. <laughs> and uh, so different things like that. You think you're prepared, but even as you start to go, it kind of. But, but there's that that time, that difference of, of thinking, I'm going to go do this and then actually doing it. There's there's a difference between saying, yes, I want to do that and then actually going and doing it. And so I, I say that if you were with us last week or the last couple of weeks, we've been starting to walk through Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, the book of Colossians. And uh, what we saw uh, last week is we looked at this picture Uh, Of what Paul paints of who Christ is and what he's doing. And then we said there's a great invitation in this that Jesus is not only the creator and sustainer of all things, he's the recreator and he's the redeemer. And so he's at work to redeem his creation. He's at work right now doing that. And so what we said last week is there's an incredible invitation to be part of what God's doing, that Jesus is reigning. That he has defeated sin and death when his first coming. He has defeated sin and death. He is on his throne reigning. And now he's recreating and he's invited us, his church, his body to be part of alerting the world to the reign of Christ. And what an incredible invitation that is, as we talked about that. You know, I often go to First Peter. I love the way Peter says it in First Peter, that you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people called out for his own possession. And he says to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out. And so when you think about those, those calls and what that says and what that tells us, and that's where we were at the end of last week and we said there's an incredible invitation here, it's easy to go, yes, that is awesome, and I want to be part of that. It's kind of like when I said, yes, I want to go to Europe. Yes, I want to do that. I'm going to do that. Well, now what do we do? How do we begin to walk that out? It's one thing to say, yes, I want to be part of that, and then it's another thing to begin to walk that out. And so today, as Paul continues in Colossians, as we continue to work our way through the way I want us to look at this is really just uh, of how we begin to do that. What that looks like, being part of what Christ is doing and redeeming and regenerating his his good creation. And he invites us to be part of alerting people to what Christ is doing. And so how do we do that? And so the way I want to look at it this morning, the way we're going to think about this is how we begin to do that first is who is involved, who's involved in this plan that god's doing secondly what are we to be doing and then lastly how do we do it and when i say how we do i mean the power in which we do it so who is to be involved what are we to do and then how are we to do it and so let's just start right at the beginning with who is involved we're going to pick up in verse 24 we're just working our way straight through colossians so we're picking up right where we left off last time so i would just encourage you even as we're going through colossians to continue to read the book the more that you read through it'll take you 10, 15 minutes at tops to read the whole thing. But as you read through it, you see his flow of thought and how this continues and where we're going. And so let's start at verse 24. And he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so right when you begin, as Paul picks up and he begins to talk about, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And then he says something that can kind of throw us off if we're not careful. Or it does me. Maybe it doesn't you. But as I'm reading along and then Paul says, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Paul says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And you go, wait a second. What's lacking in Christ's afflictions? Or or I do. That, that, That always throws me when I read that. And I go, well, what is he talking about? That he would say what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And I want us to be real clear what it is not. And you see this all throughout scripture and you even see it in the immediate context of what Paul says. What it is not is that not that there's anything lacking in Christ's finished work of his life, death and resurrection. It is not that that's not what he's talking about. There's nothing lacking in what Christ has accomplished when he came and he lived the perfect life and he became sin on our behalf. And he went to the cross and he died so that we could be reconciled to God that is complete and finished and full. There's nothing lacking in that. You can actually see that all throughout Scripture, but you can see it right here in the context. And so the importance of reading through books of the Bible and how the verses connect. I mean, look at what he says right there in verse 21 and 22, right before this. He says, you were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Talking about Jesus, he's reconciled you to God in his body, and he says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. We looked at that and talked about that last week. What he's saying is that Jesus has is done everything that you need to be done to be reconciled to God. And he is going to present you holy and blameless before the Father, and your only part in that it's to continue steadfast in faith, clinging to what Christ has done for you because he's done it all. And so right here in the immediate context, Paul says Jesus has done everything that you need to be holy and blameless before God the Father. Right? So it's done. It's finished. Your job is just to continue in faith, continue to cling to what Christ has done for you. So he's not saying what's lacking in his affliction is that maybe you need to do some works to make up what Jesus didn't quite accomplish. That's not what he's saying. So then the question is, well, what is he saying and what he says there? I think there's a lot of different uh, approaches to this. To me, I think the picture that comes out is that that Paul is suffering. Remember, as he writes this letter, he is in prison writing to the church here. He is very physically suffering for the name of Jesus. He's been thrown in jail. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. All the things that happened to Paul in his life. And here he is taking that on himself. And I think part of the picture here is that if Christ were still alive, all this hatred is at his name and who he is and attacking Jesus. And now that brunt's falling on Paul. And he says, so I'm filling up. I'm taking these afflictions that were meant for Christ in his name. And now they're falling on me. And Paul's great with that. He says, I'm fine with that. And then he says, I'm doing that. But then he says these afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I'm taking that on me. And hopefully it's helping you, the church, as he's writing to the church in Colossae. And I think part of what he's talking about is, is if people are trying to defeat Christianity and they think they're succeeding by throwing me Paul in prison and that takes some of the heat off of you, this new church, then great. So be it. I think that's what Paul's talking about. I'm taking these afflictions. And if it helps you in any way, then great. That's wonderful. What Paul knows and what we all should know is the church does not rise and fall on a man. Paul could be killed the next day and the church is still going to grow. It's not a person. It's not a single person. It's the body of Christ together with the spirit moving and working. So he says, I'm happy to take that affliction. So I just want that to be kind of out of the way. So you see that. So you don't get hung up on what he's saying. I'm adding to Christ's afflictions there. But so go back to the question for just a second of who is to be involved in this. So Paul says, I'm taking these afflictions. And he says, I've become a minister in verse twenty five, according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. We talked about this two weeks ago when we first started. Paul addresses this letter to the saints. And and I know we have a hard time sometimes grabbing hold of that. But when you are in Christ, you are going to be presented holy and blameless because of what Christ has done for you. So you are a saint. And you're not a saint because you're better than other people. You're a saint because you're in Christ and he's done it for you. And so when he starts to talk about the saints and it's been revealed to the saints, mysteries hidden for long, many ages are now coming to fullness. Right? As Jesus comes, it connects all the dots of, of God's Old Testament, his story from the very beginning. All of what God was doing is coming clearly into focus because we now see how it's pointing to Jesus. And he says, so I'm a minister. I'm telling you this and I'm pointing to this. And now you're seeing it. And then verse 27, he says to them, the saints or the church, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says God's choosing to use His body to use his saints to make known the glory of the riches that are in Christ. And so when we talk about Gentiles a lot of times when Paul's talking about Gentiles. He means non-Jewish, non-believing people. Sometimes it can be just synonymous with unbelievers. There was the Jewish faith. There were those that were that were God's chosen people that he was showing to the world. And then there were those that were not Jewish, that were not growing up in that. But it's making known to them who God is. And so you see this all the way through Scripture. This is always the way God's working. You can go all the way back to Abraham at the very beginning, as God gives this promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to do this so that you bless the world. I'm going to bless the world through your seed. He's talking about Jesus ultimately. But God's plan has always been I'm going to call a people out for my possession. I'm going to bring them and reconcile them to myself, and then I'm going to have them proclaim who I am. And so that's what he says here. I'm a minister and I'm teaching you and I'm bringing you in and I'm pointing you to all these things so that you can make known the riches of the glory of what God's doing. And so when we think about how or who is involved and what Paul's pointing us to is that really he he brings his church in those that are in Christ that are now in him that are functioning that way, that are trusting in Jesus, and then he makes known to all nations and all people and all tongues what he's doing. And so we say, well, who's involved? Well, the church is involved to make known to everyone. Go make disciples of all nations, of all tongues, of all peoples. Be my witnesses to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, it says in Acts 1. And so it's to be God using through his church to all people. And so that's the picture when we say, well, who is involved? Well, the second part I want us to consider are what are we to be doing? How do we reveal that Christ is reigning and what does that look like? And so look at what he says right after that. So verse 27, he says, we're we're making them the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he says, verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And he says, so we proclaim and we warn everyone and we teach everyone with all wisdom. And so we start to go, well, how do we do that? How do we proclaim who Christ is? We warn and we teach, we proclaim. And so when you start to think about what does that look like? What does that mean to proclaim who God is and what he's doing? And well, we start often and we say, uh, Proclamation is the preaching and teaching of God's word. And I would say, yes, that is true. That's absolutely right. And it's good to say the proclamation of God's word. We tell in words of who God is and what he's like. He's revealed himself in his word. And then he tells us to to proclaim that and to teach that preach in season and out of season and rebuke and exhort and encourage and do that. And so we're called to do that. And so absolutely, that's part of it. Uh, Paul's pattern, he saw as he went and established churches, he'd go to the synagogue first and he'd teach and he'd preach and he'd say, this is who God is. And this is how it points to Jesus. And this is what's happening. And uh, same you'd see with Jesus. He would go from town to town and he'd come in and he'd say, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he'd begin to teach and preach. And so proclamation is the the, the speaking of God's word and who it is. That's, that's why when we gather together on Sunday mornings, a good portion of our time is opening God's word and looking at it together and proclaiming what God says. And so God creates through his word. In the beginning, he spoke all things into existence, but he also recreates through his word. And so the word of God, proclamation, proclaiming, saying is a big part of it. But we would be wrong if we stop with proclamation as just preaching or teaching. It's just this On a Sunday morning or just in this way, although it includes that it's a lot more than just that. It's not just a sermon and it's not just preaching and teaching, but proclaiming and warning and teaching and all the things he talks about here are going to happen as we go day to day throughout our lives. It can't be just here an hour on Sunday morning that we proclaim God's word. It has to be much more than that. It has to be us together as a body each and every day proclaiming the truth of what God's doing to one another. The way the New Testament is written of, of the one another's, and the way that we're supposed to do those things, you can't do it on your own. And so we begin to do that together as we go. If you've been here with us for any length of time, you go back to the end of last year, we spent four weeks and then we spent a lot of times in our community groups talking about the four G's. We went through that thing, the four G's of of who God is. He's good and he's great and he's gracious and he's glorious. And we talked about just simple ways to kind of hold on to who God is. God is great, so I don't have to worry. God is in control. He's sovereign. And so I don't have to worry that things are out of control because he's in control. God's great. And so we talked about those. And sometimes we can go, well, yeah, I've got that intellectually. I get that. And yes, I got it. I've heard that enough. I now get it. But the point of doing that together was to equip you to be able to proclaim the truth to those around you, not just for your own heart, although it's certainly for that. It's so we can help one another in that the more fluent we become in the gospel, the more we can proclaim the truth to one another every day as we go. And so proclamation and teaching and warning is not something that the preacher does on Sunday. That's something that every Christian is called to do every day of their life. As we go We become fluent and we speak truth and we proclaim who God is and we warn and we correct and we rebuke and we walk together doing that. And so when we think about proclamation and what he's talking about here of warning and teaching. That's all of us every day throughout our lives. And so we need one another in that every day as we go, when we start to slip back into thinking bad thinking on different things, we need one another to come alongside and begin to speak the truth. And then we need to learn as we grow in that, then turn and do that with others. That's just making disciples who make disciples. And that's really what Paul's talking about here. He says, I toil and I do all this so that I may present everyone mature in Christ. That, That goes perfectly with what we say all the time of our definition of discipleship is discipleship is becoming obedient to Jesus in every area of your life, being mature in Christ. That we're seeing those things. And so proclamation has to happen as we go. It has to happen as we walk together. And so it's not just here. It's as we go. I mean, think about this. This picture, he says, of being mature in Christ. We want to grow up to be mature in Christ. When are we most immature and struggle the most? It's not usually on Sunday morning here. A lot of times we come and everybody's really kind to each other and I'm doing great and you're doing great and we shake our hands and we're really good. It's it's when you're frustrated with your kids in the middle of the week. That's when my immaturity shows. Right? My immaturity shows when I have a really bad ref and I'm refing my son's basketball game. Right? That's when I need people speaking the truth. Of the gospel into my life and proclaiming and warning and walking with me. Because that's the times that I get frustrated. Those are the times that it's hardest. That's when my immaturity begins to show. And so we need to be going together as we go speaking the truth, helping one another. Again, you see Jesus and Paul uh, look throughout the New Testament. They walk into towns, they go, they proclaim in words, but then they say, come follow me. Come with me as we do this. We walk together and we talk together and we spend time together. And I'm going to help you understand this. And then I'm going to send you over there and you're going to go do it with other people. And so it's as we're going, it's not just something we come and we meet once a week to do. It's throughout our life, everywhere we go. I always love the example of Jesus as he calls the disciples. He calls Matthew. He's a tax collector sitting at his stable and he says, Matthew, come follow me. And then the very next thing they're at Matthew's house at a great big party. And there Jesus is with all these people eating and drinking with them and spending time with them. And he's proclaiming and he's warning and he's doing those things as he lives his life in the midst of that. Now, that doesn't mean there's not times you gather together like we do on Sunday morning to worship, but it's every day throughout our lives all the time. And so we begin to do that. But then it's not just speaking the truth to one another proclamation of who God is and showing what that like. It's the way we live our lives. It's the way we love and serve other people. It's not just speaking. It's not just doing Bible studies. It's not just getting together during the week and going, hey, God loves you and God loves you. Okay, I'll see you next week. We now go and look to serve and love other people together. We put our faith into action. That's what it looks like. And so we begin to look for other people that we can serve and love as we go. It's not just speaking words. It's actions and what we do become real popular different times churches kind of swing from one side to the other as, as I've grown up and been in the church just in my life kind of swung to this thing of, of people used to like to say uh, you preach the gospel wherever you go and use words when necessary that became a popular saying what they were saying by it, it was well-intentioned what they mean is you love people really well and you spend time in your life will bear witness to the gospel and what God's doing in you absolutely you should be doing that that's right but let me be clear, you cannot proclaim, you cannot preach the gospel without using words. It's impossible. It has to be actions in the way you love and care pe- for people and love them and walk with them and serve them. But it also has to be spoken. It can't be one or the other, and it has to be both. And so when we swing the one side of we just need to proclaim and speak and talk and say it. Yes, that's true. But we also need to live it in the way that we serve and love and care for people. And it has to be both. It's not an either or you never see Jesus doing either or it's always both. He's always loving and caring for people and then speaking the truth to where they are. And so we're called to proclaim with our words, but also with our actions. We have to do both. That's the picture that's always throughout uh, scripture. And so when we slide to one side or the other, it becomes a little bit ridiculous Think about if our church body, our family, we're a family when we say that as a church, if this was like a a football team, just for a second, let's say we're a football team. And so we gather on Sunday morning and we talk about playing, right? We're going to run these plays and here's the plays we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And this is going to look like, hey, let's get together in our community groups this week and we'll talk about playing. And then we gather together and we go, hey, yeah, let's run this play and let's do this. See you Sunday. We'll talk about playing again. And we just kept doing that. How quickly we go, well, hey, when are we going to put pads on and actually play? Like, when are we going to do that? Well, it wouldn't take long for us to say that. But oftentimes the church functions that way. Hey, let's have a Bible study. OK, we we'll have a Bible study. Let's get together on Sunday and worship. Great. Let's have a Bible study. And we go and we go and we go. And it's never leading to action. It has to be both. It can't just be what happens sometimes within the church is studying scripture, which is vital and important. And please hear me. It is absolutely our lifeline to who God is and the way he tells us and what to do. Absolutely. But Bible study cannot become the ends. If we just sit around and study the Bible, we're missing what God calls us to. We're supposed to live that out as well. And so it's proclaiming and living both sides of it. And so I want you to think about practical application. I said at the beginning, you have this invitation we talked about last week. We get to proclaim who God is. So how do we begin to do that? How do we begin to live that out of loving people and serving people and speaking the truth together and all those things? And I say this all the time. And It's just it's not the end all. It's just the way we're doing it right now in our body. We have missional community groups. And the reason we've not called them community groups or small groups and we call them missional community groups is we want you to gather together at different times during the week and love each other and proclaim the gospel and speak and then figure out how you're going to go serve and love people together. It has to be both. It cannot be. We have community groups that are just about us and loving each other and nothing else, because if we do, we've missed it. The same is true if we have a community group that gets together and goes and serves people and goes to soup kitchens and does all kinds of great things and never speaks the gospel. We've missed it then. It has to be both. And so we have missional community groups and that is the vision and that's what we want. We want you to be involved with other people that know you and are loving you, that are caring for you, that are speaking the gospel to you, but they're also spurring you on to go and to serve and to love the people around you. And so that's the way that we've set up. And so I would just invite you, if you're not involved in one, to get involved in one. And then if you're in a group, and I'm saying this for my own as well, when we gather together, my my, uh, challenge to you right now, just the beginning of 2015, is begin to pray together as a group of who God is sending you to. We are to be sent. Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. We are sent people. That's what we're to be. And so if we're just gathering together and we're just loving each other and encouraging one another, that's great. But we need to begin to pray. Who is God sending us to? Who are we going to go and love and begin to proclaim in our words and our actions? Who is God sending us to? And so begin to pray that together. If you're not involved in a group right now, we're about to start in the next couple of months. All the groups are going to go through a similar study together And the name of the book. It's just called a gospel primer. And what it is, is to hopefully or or hopefully help us take these steps that I'm talking about. Half of the study is just learning to speak the truth of the gospel to one another, becoming more fluent in proclaiming by words to one another what God's doing. And then the second half of it is action steps of how do we actually begin to do this? How do we bless the people around us? How do we love our neighbors? How do we love our friends? How do we go about doing that? The action and, and the words both. Oftentimes we say here the up, the in and the out, right? The up, our relationship with God, the in our relationship with the body, the out our relationship to the world. They have to be in balance. If they are out of balance, we are an unhealthy church. It's as simple as that. And so we need to have a balance of all three. And so I just invite you to begin to pray and ask God of who he's sending you to. Be creative on what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Maybe it's you're going to go rake your neighbor's leaves. Maybe you're just going to go bless them in that way and serve them in that way. And that's the first step. Great. Do that this week. Look for opportunities to bless people that are in your life. Look for ways to begin to show the love of Christ to those around you and ask God to show you. If we believe God is a sending God who's sending us to proclaim what he's done, then he's going to open doors for that to happen when we begin to ask him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so be asking God how we can do that. Meet with your your missional community group and brainstorm on how we can be creative to show the love of Christ to right where God's placed us. Whether it's in your neighborhood or with your friend, whatever it is. And it's going to look different in every group and every that's fine. It should look different. And so think about those ways that we begin, We begin to do that. And then within that, we want to see men and women meeting in smaller groups together that you can really begin to speak the truth to one another's hearts. That doesn't often happen in a group of 15 or 20 people, but that happens more in two or three or four together where you can share really what's going on and pray for one another. And well, I love that one of my favorite times of the week is I get to spend time with David and with Mike and we meet at 630 in the morning and we pray for one another. We do that every week, and we've been doing it for what 18 months. <laughs> we tried to figure it out the other day. We went, "Whoa, it's been a long," and it's great. And so, do that. Speak the truth to one another, and spend time together doing that. And so, just practically make those steps. Just, I'll, I'll plug this in. Next week, Sunday night at five o'clock, we're going to have a men's meeting downstairs, and this is exactly what we're talking about. How do we do this better together? And so, guys, if you're here and you go, I don't know how to get connected, come next Sunday night and we'll talk about that together and pray about that together. And so you're invited to be part of that. The last part here. How are we to be doing that? Sometimes you can go, well, yes, I want to do it. I want it like my trip to Europe. I want to go, but I'm not sure how to do it. But let me just remind you when you think about the baby steps of what you're going to do next, that what he says here, what Paul says here, how are we going to do it? Look at the last thing he says in verse twenty nine. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What's he talking about? He's talking about, we talked about this two weeks ago, being in Christ and what that looks like and the power of Christ working in me. And so when you begin to think about the power of which to do that, and maybe you're, you're discouraged and I don't know exactly what this will look like and how I'm going to do it. Remember the power that is at work within you. There's an incredible thing here. Let me connect the dots. I'll do this briefly, but go back to verse second half of 22 and then 23 that we looked at last week, just right up there above. Look at what he says. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's your standing already in Christ, What a wonderful blessing and promise that is. And then he says, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope. Of the gospel that you heard and then listen here, he says, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. There's this kind of perplexing thing there. He says it has been proclaimed in all creation already past tense. It's been done. And you're going, well, Paul's writing this at the very genesis of the church. How does he say that? And so I was reading this week and this just so hit me. Uh, A New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this about what Paul says there. And so listen carefully to what he says. He says here, Paul says an extraordinary thing about this gospel. It was announced, he says, not just to a few men and women and children in a few small parts of the Mediterranean world, but to every creature under heaven. What can he mean? He can only mean that Jesus of Nazareth is. When Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead as king and Lord of the world, a spiritual shockwave ran through the entire cosmos. Think about that for a second. When Jesus defeated sin and death, it went through all creation that things have changed. The creator sustainer of the world has come back to redeem his creation and he is reigning right now. And so the picture of what that means is that Christ in you is the reigning king of the world and he is at work to redeem his creation and he wants to use you. There's nothing to be afraid of. He's going to do it. It's going to happen. You're going to be presented holy and blameless because of what Christ has already done. And now he's inviting you to be part of it. What in the world is there to be afraid of? Nothing. Nothing. The king of the world is living inside of you through his spirit, wanting to use you to make known who he is. There's no better place to be. And so when you think about what do we do this and this is my own heart, it's easy to go, man, I'm tired. I just want to go home. I'm ready to just go lay on the couch. And God's going, I want to use you to proclaim what I'm doing. I want you to be part of this. And so just thinking of small steps that we can make to begin to proclaim that Christ is reigning and what he's doing. What a privilege we have as his body, because that's what he says, his body, the saints. I'm going to proclaim through you to creation what I'm doing. So what a privilege that we have. May that be what ignites us and unifies us and excites us as we go throughout the week. And so let's pray. God, we thank you for the marvelous truth of your word. That you love us enough to humble yourself, to come to us, to bring us back into this relationship. And for that, we thank you. We praise you. Uh, we just ask right now that you would ignite in our hearts clear action steps of how we can do that together as a body. That we would truly seek to proclaim with every part of our lives what you're doing. That you are the king and that you are reigning. We thank you for including us in that. For allowing us to be part of your glorious plans. And I pray that you would just give us more and more obedience to following you wherever that may be. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.